Untangled Knots is an attempt to explore the internal and external world. I have guests from different countries and backgrounds, and we talk about the things that make us excited and the things that we care about. If you like what I or any of my guests have to say, then check out our other projects. There are links to all our socials and everything in the description. What does it mean to connect with the land in the city? The city uses the same four elements of every material structure. Fire, water, earth, and air. And they all have emotion and they all have spirits of their own. When you connect with the city, we imagine when you, when you see a church, what do you see? You see a temple, right? And uh, this temple was created with a specific architectural feature in mind, okay? Maybe it was designed for a religious purpose, as it was designed in the medieval ages. Uh, there was a reason for all of those elements uh, that constitute a church during that time, and most of them remain in these architectural features. Uh, but the same happens with the buildings, with residential buildings, with political buildings. Uh, the buildings tell a story, and the same story is the story that we can find if we visit the path or we visit uh, uh, Angkor Wat, or we visit the Great Wall. These are features that are telling us the energy that is going through that place. And that very same energy is working through our body. The body of all humanity as a collective, but also the body of each individual that constitutes that humanity. And since cities are our creation, they are not built into the world, but rather are built by humans. They are the most, the most direct expression that we have of our own mind, of our own creative process as collective. Cities will represent the societies that build them, right? And if something happens to the cities, if cities are burned down or, or if a feature is collapsed or demolished, uh, that is a meaningful symbol of a transformation occurring as a, at a social, at a religious, at a spiritual, and a political level. And it's happening in the city, and that's why I connect with the city that way. Because, as I said before, there, there is this principle of hermeticism, one of the, of the traditions that I study, that says, as above, so below. As within, so without. And uh, this talks about the many layers of reality, of physical reality which mirror the layers of spiritual reality. Uh, and uh, all of them are mirrors one of the other. And when something happens in one, it, it is also mirrored in the other layers as well. So when you see the stars, for instance, if you, if you get your uh, natal chart read for you uh, and interpreted for you, you are going to see many of your issues and many of your dreams and many of your experiences directly mirrored in the positions of your planets. It's just a fact of astrology. And uh, if the planets can be read this way, why not your house? Why not your the places that you walk through? Uh, the places you visit in a week can tell you a story. And uh, this story is essential for your process at the moment. It's all, it always is because the, the universe doesn't want you to keep secrets. The universe doesn't keep secrets. 
The universe is giving us the full information. We just don't have the perception to see them. And we have to train our perceptions for that. And when you change the perception of the place you live in, you change, fundamentally change the way you approach the place. And if the place is dirty, you clean it up. And if the place is, is having an issue, maybe water is leaking out, you want it to repair. And if the place doesn't have enough plants, you want more plants in there. And if the place doesn't have enough animals, you bring animals in here. Actually, there's a, there's a phenomenon here which biologists, uh, they are not very happy about it. But most of people here are happy about it, unhappy. There are many macaws here, many, 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 many. They are like parrots, but or, or they are from the family of the parrots, but they are very colorful and they are very big as well and strong. Um, and there was a moment, uh, biodiversity of these birds here, but someone started bringing them, uh, bringing a lot of them to the city himself. He, he started to bring in them, just uh, first caring for them. If they if he found them uh, wounded or something like that, he brought them to his home and uh, cared for them and then liberated, bring them into the city. Uh, and he did that for years with a lot of species. And uh, there was a species that was dominant because it was stronger and it was very, very expansive. And now this is the only species that exists in Caracas mostly because they dominated the environment. And they also, they, they live in, they live in, in plants like palms. They, they live in palm trees, but they need the palms, the palm trees to be dead in order to live them. So they cause these situations with the biodiversity of the place and also the, the environment. So biologists are happy about this, uh, but the general populace the general citizens of the city, they love this animal. I love this animal. They are beautiful and they are very connected to the humans because humans feed them. So uh, they have their humans and they visit the places of these humans and reproduce near these humans. And these humans love these birds and they want to care for them. So it's... What do they call again? One more time. Macos. Macos. N M-A-C-A-W. Okay. I think I watched some videos of these. A lot of them are blue and green. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched videos of that in Caracas. <laughs> and there's something happening here, which is not happening anywhere else. There's a new species or a new variation, variation a mutation of that color. Uh, most of these birds are blue and yellow, but there are there is another subspecies of that a mutation which is blue and white. Mm -hmm. They are not very common yet, but they are becoming more common. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's also something that worries a biologist because these mutations have effects in the environment, other mutations, other, other effects in the environment. Uh, but um, from my spiritual perspective, mm -hmm. it has other readings uh, which science doesn't actually promote or understand right now. In spiritual levels, uh, this city is a place where many entities gather and have connected to these entities, has worked for these entities as well and with these entities mm -hmm. and have uh, uh, made offers to them and I've uh, made prayers to them and uh, I, I know them, I've seen them. Unlike I know them, know them, it's, it's impossible to know these entities, but uh, I've seen them. I've seen their faces and I know that. And, 
and uh, they are all over the place. And they are all over the place in all cities and in all places. They are everywhere. And uh, and they always mirror each other. So you see entities from Greece and Egypt and Latin America and the Yoruba tradition in Africa and uh, the American Indian mythology and Norse mythology. All of them gather in every place because they are all the same story. They are all the same narrative. They all tell you the same things, just with different tones and degrees. And the cities tell you the same things. And uh, when you work with these uh, entities, you get like a connection to places, different places, and different uh, different levels of the structure of your city and of your of your physical body. And uh, this experience with these uh, with these inhabitants, so to speak also transfers to the animals and to the people. And uh, there's a saying in spiritual circles that macaws, which are uh, a Latin American, uh, they are all over Latin America, especially in the Amazon. Uh, they are uh, expressions or heralds of the spirits. They are the ones who carry the message of the higher planes. All of birds, all the birds do, all birds do, but these spiritual uh, servants are in this city with this, with in such pronounced numbers because of the city, because of the energy of the city and the energy of the people living. They, they, you can see the videos in TikTok, it's uh, or, or in Instagram. You can find them across Caracas, and uh, you can see a lot of people treating them like their children. And this is this is her name, and this is her name, and this is they recognize me. And the macaws recognize them back. They acknowledge each other. And it's happening with a lot of species in a lot of places in the world. Uh, Russia in particular is very peculiar about that because they have puma friends. They have uh, tiger friends. They have bear friends. They have, well, raven friends are more common. Uh, the United States is full of these stories of people connecting with ravens and hawks <laughs> it's very very beautiful to see because it's happening everywhere and i think it's because we are changing our perspective about how the world works because if you for instance i've seen videos of people dealing with lions and uh, with tigers and with very dangerous beasts very very dangerous and they are cool about it many of them they're cool let me touch your nose let me let me play with your tools let me let me caress you, let me, and the guy just, just <laughs> completely open and even doing sounds that they don't usually, you don't usually recognize in them. I've been very amazed by that. How many sounds uh, exist in nature that we don't know about because we don't connect with animals this way. But they all have their languages and their voices. And it's very, very inspiring as well to see all of these people connected to all of these animals these weird, strange animals uh, living in houses sometimes just because they want to, not because they are being held there. <laughs> it's weird. We watched some video of actually in Caracas. There was a Chinese girl that moved there and she was feeding the bird you were talking about. And then she moved and she was really sad. Like she was hoping to see them again, but she moved away. And then I forget what happened, but somehow... Somehow they found her and they told each other, so like they communicated to each other and then they all started to come to her house again. 
Wow. Even though she moved somewhere across the city, like quite far away, a few kilometers. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, it's and it's happening. <laughs> Have you seen that there's a raccoon man that he just uh, goes outside, he just feeds raccoons. There like 40 raccoons come up to him and just become his best friend, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I think what I've seen, actually, this is happening even with, with insects and with sea creatures and with all kinds of creatures. I've seen people caress uh, eagles. That was unheard of before. We've heard, we've used unheard of, I've used unheard of very, very much in this conversation uh, because we are talking about the unimaginable. There was a point in which, in which this was unimaginable. And now it's not only imaginable, it's happening right now in front of our, of our very eyes. And uh, and I think the more we connect with what we've created in a positive way, in a, in a helpful way, in a fruitful way, we are going to see also a difference in our relationship with plants and animals and other human beings. Because also... Recently, I was listening to a, to a hermetic treatise called the Coricos Mode, which is uh, the mother or the virgin of cosmos. And uh, it's a conversation between Isis, the goddess Isis, and the god Horus, his child, her child. And, um, and in this conversation, Isis reveals the mixture of elements and the structure, the elemental structure of human beings. And it's extremely beautiful, extremely, extremely beautiful. And um, at some point, they talk about the connections of the elements with the species and kinds of birds and living beings. And uh, Isis tells Horus that um, this all depends on the levels of each of the four elements in the person, the place, or the animal. So uh, birds have a lot of air and very little to no earth because they live in the earth. And they may have a bit of fire and a bit of water, but not much. They are mostly air. While fish are mostly water, they have almost no earth. They have almost no fire. Well, none, almost none at all. And uh, no air. They live only in water, so they are, they are vulnerable to these environments where, where a fire and earth and air are abundant, so they need to stay in the water. Uh, and she says that the same is with people, and you can see that in their faces and their bodies. You can feel that this soul is a spider. You can feel that this soul is a serpent. You can feel that this soul is a, an eagle. You can feel that, and it's very common in shamanism to connect with people this way. Like, you are a, you are a ball. You are a wolf, you are uh, a deer, but most people think I only have one spirit animal, but that's not true. We are connected to all the animal kingdoms, to all plants and to all crystals, to every form of life, even the stars, we are connected to every. So we can see these things in our structures, in our, in our physical structures and in our thoughts as well, and in our emotions. So if you identify these entities and these animals, and uh, I think I love cats. People who love cats, and they always have a great relationship with any cat. Even the most grump the grumpiest of cats love them. That's 
Why is that? Because there are principles common to the cat, to all cats, not, not just the domestic kind, but all cats have these principles that also govern this person. This is the vibration of this person, and so she attracts equal. Equal attracts equal. So this vibration may express itself also in the ways you live and in the things you do. If you are a serpent, you are going to be attracted, drawn to images of serpents all the time. You are going to be attracted to images of people uh, wearing male armor or something like that. Because you see that in those animals and you see that in yourself. Also with dragons. A dragon is a serpent. And a dragon is a very noble serpent. So you connect with this animal and you kind of understand something about yourself. Because the mythologies and the legends and the stories connected to this animal are also connected to parts of your being. So if you study these narratives, you have your own key to your own narrative. And uh, you can do that with cities. You can do that with the natural monuments. You can do that with uh, people. You can do that in any form of activity or skill. This skill, for instance, is a very... It's a very nimble skill. And which animal is very nimble? Well, I can say the, the praying mantis is nimble. So this is the trade of the praying mantis. And I want to, to trade with the praying, praying mantis for this skill. I want to, to learn this skill. This is how Kung Fu came yeah. to be. This uh, conversation. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Connecting the pieces right now. I get it. <laughs> You, you know, I, I learned this uh, Chinese massage, right? And the person who taught me, she she connects everything. Like for her, uh, she actually sings. And she sings from her chakras, basically. And then she um, uh, she meditates a lot, all the time. She she does like yoga and uh, kung fu and uh, qigong kind of practices. And she tells yeah. me, these are all the same thing. So if you don't have me, you can meditate. You can do kung fu or something. And um, that was her whole perspective, right? And when you say that just now, I'm like, okay, okay, I see. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could sense it kind of intuitively, but that that's a very easy way to understand that. Yeah, and and, yeah. and it can happen with other narratives as well. For instance, if you see the Upanishads or the uh, Sohorn in the Kabbalah, the Upanishads, these structures of Hinduism, uh, philosophical books, uh, just like the Vedas, there are the Upanishads, or the Torah, or the Kabbalah, or um, the Bible, or the Popol Vuh, any of these treatises, or any of the mystical traditions, any, any of the shamanistic traditions, which never left something, not, uh, most of them didn't leave uh, written records, but they left uh, oral traditions. If you study them, you're going to find the same patterns everywhere, all of them have the same characters, just with different guises, and different mirrors, uh, and different aspects as well. So, for instance, uh, Voodoo. Voodoo is a, a tradition that is considered dark, that is considered dense, and is considered evil by most people, okay? Not to touch, not to talk about. I've had my connection with Voodoo, and I, I've experienced great realizations with that, with this connection. And I realized that there are the same entities in voodoo that there are in Norse mythology and Egyptian mythology and uh, all of them 
perform the same tasks. So for instance, there is this entity that I connect with who is called the Baron Sandi. Uh, he is the Loa, the god of the dead of the underworld. And he is the patron of magic and of uh, the panacea that heals all wounds and resurrection as well. So he, and sexuality. <laughs> so he deals with most of the issues uh, connected also with Jesus Christ. So there is a connection within these entities. It's a very powerful connection. So if you want to understand the darker aspects of the most dense aspect of Jesus Christ, like the three the three days that he lived in the death in the the forty days in the desert or the three days that he spent in the hell, uh, you can study Samdi because he is this aspect of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is also found in Norse mythology as Odin because he also sacrificed himself to extract the runes from Intracity. Uh, and you can find this uh, concept of the lunar or solar entities everywhere. For instance, in Japan, you have Amaterasu. And uh, Amaterasu went into a cave and left this with the world completely and dark. And she had to be drawn out. She had to be drawn from the cave. And this concept of the cave holding the gold, holding the sun, is common everywhere as well. You can find it in American Indian mythology. You can find it in Canadian mythology. You can find it in Mexican mythology. In all Latin American traditions. You can find it in the ayahuasca practice and in the Jopo practice. Uh, and you see it because, for instance, the people who make Jopo uh, here in Venezuela, uh, they are called the Piaroas or the uh, Watuha people. And they, they live in in Bolivar and the Amazon, okay? They, they have communities there, but the main one is the Amazon. And uh, they have this entity that they pray to, uh, who is a goddess responsible for spreading the sacred medicine in the world. She's responsible for yoga, but also for, like, for ayahuasca and all other psychotropic substances in the world. Uh, but that's their interpretation of a uh, Hathor, Hathor in Egypt is the same, and Frigg in Norse mythology is the same, and Demeter in Greek mythology is the same. It's the same all over the place, and Pachamama is the same. And when I started delving more into their uh, mythology and philosophy, I realized they also have a deluge mythology. They also have a deluge, and they also had a, a Noah kind of character who built a Chuduata, uh, a, a building where they live, where all the family lives, uh, and where rituals are performed. And this Chuduata was put very high in a high mountain. And uh, the rest of the people who couldn't get to the mountain and couldn't get safe in the Chuduata were drowned, including the animals, except for two. But it's the same myth that you can find in uh, the Enochian myths, the Enochian legends, where Enoch or Noah uh, got into the uh, ark and pulled the species into the ark and then uh, roamed the world for 30 days, etc. But it's everywhere. And if you if you connect this to the modern narratives, you can find this in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you can find it in Game of Thrones and you can find it in Harry Potter and you can find it in Lord of the Rings. All of them talk to you about these things. Matrix, The Godfather, all of them talk to you about the things. One of the 
one of the most wonderful experiences, very dark, but most wonderful experiences that I had was a House of Cards. It's a very profound show, very, very, very profound and difficult show to watch because it mirrored reality way too closely <laughs> to the point in which it, it melted with reality. Uh -huh. So you see Kevin Spacey has, has this scandal and then they, uh, they do this with Claire Underwood instead of him. Uh -huh. And, uh, this happens in the show. The show does this before the scandal. Uh -huh. So, and it happened a lot, a lot of times, they predicted events. Do you think that, um, he was exposed because like the, 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 uh, scandal was exposed because he kind of stood too close to a story that was touching on these topics. Yes. <laughs> yes, completely. Yes, completely. Because he channeled himself in this character. This is Kevin Spacey. This is not uh, just Frank Underwood. <laughs> and, uh, wow. Yeah. And it's very powerful. It's very powerful because so, as awful as what he did was, it's like, it's important to watch that, to see like what, what this is. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's important to watch that, to understand how these people think. Uh -huh. uh, there are shows you can explore uh -huh. to understand the tyrant. For instance, if you want to understand tyranny uh, in a very profound way, you can watch Westworld. Mm -hmm. The aspect of tyranny is pronouncedly studied, at least in the first season and the second season as well. Uh, or you can watch Game of Thrones. The concept of tyranny in Cersei Lannister or in Daenerys Targaryen is also very present and you can see it. These give you insight about tyrants, real tyrants, in historical events and in modern tyrants as well. How they act, how they explore reality, the fear that they feel. They live in constant fear because that's what they, what they manifest. They are here to manifest that. Criminals, violent guys, bullies, corrupt bureaucrats, political entities who, uh, who mismanage funds and who kill people and tyrants, all of them, oppressive, oppressive systems. They all live in fear. All of them are expressions of fear. They feed on fear. If you don't give them fear, they lose strength and uh, they all at some point imprison themselves behind the bars for fear. And you can see that in, in, in the Underwoods, you can see how they progressively live more in intimate spaces. They lose freedom of movement. They don't gain freedom of movement. They lose it and they no longer can travel everywhere. They no longer can travel safely. They no longer, they are constantly afraid of each other. Who will betray me? That's how the tyrant lives. And that's why I managed to forgive the tyrants here and to embrace them as, as family as well, because imagine living in this fear. I could never imagine that. I could never imagine such fear. And this is what they give because it's all they have. Or it's all that they tell themselves that they have. Well, that they know, right? I want to ask you though. So how does someone recognize when a TV show, for example, is expressing truth and like a realistic kind of uh, situations or when it's just totally out of touch? Well, um. The issue here is not exactly about what the, what the author wanted to express. Yeah. It's more about what the author was channeling at the moment. Okay. So, um, we all, we are all channels of these messages all the time. Uh, when we speak, when we think, when we feel, and when we act, we spread these messages, most of them unconsciously. We are, we are not aware that we are doing this, but we all do that. 
And um, this is what we imbue in the places we visit. This is what we imbue in our relationships and connections. And it's a thing that spreads and uh, it works in, um, in uh, artistic productions as well. Uh, what, when you see a Van Gogh, Van Gogh is in there, in those, uh, in those paintings. You can see Van Gogh. And although the art is a fake expression of reality, like a fiction, this reality is also composed of fictions, institutions, money, identities, all of them are fictions. So it's not about whether uh, an author wanted to tell the truth. It's more about the truth that he was channeling all the same, whether he wanted it to tell or not. Uh, and, uh, and the same goes with the, uh, with the actors and with the performers. Uh, we are all performers in a show, in a way, and we all channel these identities because of because it's connected to our purpose in this world. And you see that in, in shows that you like. I don't know if you watch Penny Dreadful at some point. Uh, it's a very profound show and very beautiful. I, I recommend that completely. It's very poetic. It deals with very profound issues. I, I think Penny Dreadful is one of those, is one of those shows that teach you about the monster, about the monster inside, demon and the fear. It's a very, very, very deep on that. And very, some, some people may find it repellent because it's, uh, it's very uh, graphic in the violent, but also very graphic in the way it expresses human pain because these, these characters who are broken characters, guilty of many crimes, uh, they want redemption above all things. And they are kind characters. They are kind in a context of darkness. And it's very difficult to, to live kindly in such a context and they kind of manage it and it's very profound uh, experiencing and um, the actors are just magnificent especially the the main character who is played by Eva Green she's extremely beautiful and uh, the character is extremely beautiful and this character is an expression of entities that I've acknowledged in my own city and in my own experiences so when I watch this character I may be watching a fictional telling of the story, but so is the Bible. And so uh, is uh, Sumerian mythology, which is based on uh, an Egyptian mythology, which she's also based on. And the, the concepts of magic and the concepts of poetry and the concepts of art explored in the show are also found everywhere as well. So if you connect these concepts, you are going to find important information, whether the author intended it or not. So. It's more about your perception of your of the narrative than about what the author wanted or didn't want to express. So when you look at a show and you see maybe they are overreacting or maybe this is too over the top or maybe they shouldn't have turned it up so much here. That's essentially a prejudice that is uh, disabling you from enjoying that aspect of the narrative. The less prejudice you have about this narrative, the more information from the narrative you can extract. And therefore, the more information you can use in your daily life from that narrative. Uh, and sometimes it takes more than a viewing of a film, and it takes more than a viewing of a show, and it takes more than a reading of a book in order to get to the deeper aspects of that narrative. But there are always the same deeper aspects. All of them have them. Uh, some are more difficult to read or consume than others or to, to connect with, but they all talk about the same thing. 
all of them. And for every instance, narrative. Every narrative. If you like what we do here, find us on social media and let us know. Uncut episodes will be up early on Patreon, and any support you make will make it easier to keep doing this. I also have a novella series called Confessions of the Damaged. It follows a man wandering the streets as he sees visions and tries to understand the meaning of his life. You can find links for everything in the description.